Hi everyone, Pastor Gregory Bartram here, lead pastor here at Destiny Church, where your history doesn't define your destiny. I just want to welcome you to Your Destiny Podcast. Thanks for listening. And my prayer is that the message that you hear today brings healing, hope, and ultimately transformation. Hope you enjoy the message. chapter 5. Like I say every week, your Bible ought to automatically fall to Matthew chapter 5 because this is where we've been for a while and we're going to continue in chapter 5 for quite some time. So I don't know when the Lord will change it, but we're just following him. Amen. Amen. So we're t- so today we're going to continue talking about Kingdom Manifesto. And um, I want to continue specifically talking about kingdom character. How many believes character is important? Amen. Character gets you there, and it's character that helps you stay there. Amen. And I think one thing that we need in the body of Christ more than in, more than gifts and talents and hype is character, integrity, honesty, commitment, loyalty, things like that. So we're going to talk about kingdom character today. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How many wants to see God? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you, persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted the prophets which, which were before you. I want you to look with me in verse number 4. This is where we're going to camp out for just a little bit today. Jesus says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. We're listening. I pray, Lord, your word would go forth, accomplish the assignment that you sent it to do, that it would not return back to you void. I pray today that your word would fill our hearts, our lives, change us, challenge us, transform us by your word today. We give you permission, Holy Spirit. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. So here in verses 3 through 12, we have a series of eight sayings given by Jesus to his disciples. We've talked about this how that these sayings are known as the Beatitudes. How many ever heard that phrase, the Beatitudes? If you've been in church long enough, if you have ever been to Sunday school, you have heard the Beatitudes. matter of fact, right now in children's church, our kids are learning the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. And so here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12, we have eight sayings that are known as the Beatitudes. 
And they have been called that because each saying begins with the pronouncement, blessed. Everybody say blessed. blessed. How many here today wants to be blessed by God? Come on, ain't nobody here come, get up in the morning and say, man, you know what, I just like to, I just like to be cursed today. <laughs> no, ain't nobody says that, do, do we? We get up and say, Lord, please bless my life. We want to be blessed so that we can be a blessing. And so, so Jesus, Jesus gives us these beatitudes, and at the beginning of each beatitude, he says, blessed, blessed, which in the Latin is the word beatus, which we get, at the, we're, it's where we get the word beatitude from, beatus or beatitude. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus sets forth the attitudes. Everybody say attitudes. attitudes. The attitudes that the kingdom, that kingdom citizens should possess if they, if they are to live a blessed life in the kingdom. I don't want to just live in the kingdom. I don't want to just survive in the kingdom. I want to thrive in this kingdom. Amen? Amen. Come on, we got to quit surviving. We got, we got to start thriving in the name of Jesus. Come on. And so, so I believe that these beatitudes are the attitudes that one who is a part of the kingdom of God ought to possess. Okay? And I believe, listen to me, I believe that if you are a, 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 a kingdom citizen, you ought to be blessed because of your connection and association with that kingdom. Not only should you be the most blessed person, but you ought to be the most joyful person because of your connection and association and involvement in the kingdom. Amen? Come on, how many's, how many's glad you got the joy, joy of the Lord in your heart? Come on, you, you have the joy of the Lord in your heart because you're a part of the kingdom. The kingdom produces the joy of the Lord. And so I believe that if you are connected to the kingdom of God, you ought to be the most blessed and the most joyful person on this planet. And, uh, and so, how many you know sometimes you got to notify your face? Because you look at some people, you think, man, they're just part of the worst kingdom ever. But I, I want to tell you, we are a part of the kingdom of God, and we ought to be the most blessed and the most joyful. And sometimes you have to tell your face you need to show it. Come on. Need to turn that frown upside down. You look at some people in the church, it looks like they've been sucking on a limb all day. Come on. If we're going to be a part of this kingdom, we ought to believe we are the most blessed people on this planet and we are the most joyful, happy people because of our connection to the kingdom and its Savior, Jesus Christ. Come on. Be joyful. So the Beatitudes describe the character of the kingdom. They tell us what a Christian is. And then the rest of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which we will get into um, when we get into some of the other verses and chapters here in Matthew. But Jesus gives us the rest of what a Christian is and what a Christian does as far as character in Matthew 5 through 7. Now, what is character? Character is the way someone thinks. It's the way someone feels. It's the way someone behaves. And so Jesus teaches his disciples the way someone in the kingdom is to think, feel, and behave. So we've already talked about the first beatitude, which is be poor in spirit. 
And today we're going to talk about mourning, about mourning, about weeping, crying, lamenting. And so that is another characteristic of one that is a citizen of the kingdom. Not just that you're poor in spirit, but also that you mourn. You weep, you cry, you're sorrowful. Now, today I'm going to talk about something that we may, it may make you feel uncomfortable. But we need to hear this because if you are truly poor in spirit, how many knows the, the only response to that will be weeping and mourning and sadness and sorrow. If we have really become poor in spirit, the only response that we can have is mourning. Not because I said it, but because Jesus said it. And so all these beatitudes are connected together. They're like strands uh, of pearls on a necklace. One is connected to the next. So if you are poor in spirit, then that means the only response is mourning, which is connected to poor in spirit. How do you know if somebody is really bankrupt spiritually and spiritually impoverished? Here's how you know, because they weep and cry for it because they are in desperate need for God to move in their lives. When I, you know when somebody is really desperate for God and they know that they need God more, more than anything. Why? Because they will cry out and they will begin to weep and lament. There will be an outward expression and emotions in their life. Bless God, I don't cry. Well, you haven't become poor in spirit yet. I'm going to talk to some men today. Bless God, I, it's, it's not manly to cry. Well, let me tell you, you haven't become poor in spirit, and the reason why God probably hasn't moved in your life is because he's waiting for you to get to the point where you need him more than anything else in your life. And when you get to that point that you need him more than anything, there will be an outward expression. There will be emotions in. I'm not talking about, it's always about emotions and feeling, but I tell you what, you ever get to that place of poor in spirit, you will cry and you will weep. I remember the day that I got the revelation that I needed a sa savior. I remember the day that I realized I can't save myself. I can't deliver myself. I can't set myself free. I need a savior and I have no power in myself or strength in myself. There was no self-effort. There was no works that I could perform to help me out. And whenever that happened, I became poor in spirit. And when I became poor in spirit, guess what happened? My eyes began to shed tears and I began to weep and I, was, I began to lament and I anguished over the fact that I need God and I am a sinner and I am wretched. And if I was to die without him, I would go to hell. I believe what happens so many times at the altar is people don't come with the poor and poor in spirit they just come because they regret and they are guilty for what they done last night and then they continue this cycle of sinning why even though they came to the altar why because they did not come poor in spirit they just felt sorry and they were guilty and they were, they were regretful but they were not truly repentant the only way you can ever truly repent is you got to, to approach God as one that is poor in spirit and you, when you really are in that place of, of poverty of spirit you will begin to weep and cry We'll get on something because Paul tells us it's only godly sorrow that worketh repentance. 
We don't hear this message in the church anymore. It's come to the altar and let Jesus fix everything for you. And people come to the altar. Let me me say this. They come to the altar because they need Jesus to fix something that's broken. But I want to tell you this. It's not that Jesus fixes broken things. It's that that when you approach him, you must approach him with with the intention that, God, I have nothing in myself to be able to satisfy or fulfill this life of mine. I need you. And I... And when you come to him in that condition, there will always be weeping and crying and lamenting. When I got saved, I got saved, baptized in tears. That's how you know somebody really got saved. They will weep and cry over their tears. Not because I said it, Jesus said it. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. Why is it a blessing to mourn? Well, it depends on what you're mourning over. It's not always a blessing that we cry. Some things just break our hearts. There's just some circumstances that we're going to cry over. There's some things that happen in our life that's going to cause us to cry and to weep. But Jesus is talking about a particular mourning. And when somebody enters into this kind of mourning, they are actually a blessed person in the kingdom of God. I told the Lord not, not too long ago, I said, Lord, because sometimes I'll feel myself, you got to be very careful because this right here can become familiar and it will lose its touch on your heart. Church and Jesus will become familiar and it will lose its touch on your heart. And there have been times in my life where I have felt like I could not feel him. And it was hard for me to weep and to cry in his presence. And when that happens, that is not a blessing to lose your mourning. Because when I first got saved, I got saved in tears. And I'm going to tell you, and even after I got saved, somebody just mentioned his name and I would weep and cry. I don't never want to lose that. I don't never want to become so familiar to Jesus or he become so familiar to me that I can't weep when he steps into the room. Because the fact is, there was a woman who, who, who Jesus delivered. She was a prostitute. God delivered her from seven devils. And the Bible says she heard that Jesus was in the house and she ran past the men who were reclining at the table eating with Jesus supping with him but one woman got the revelation that this man is my savior and he is my lord he is my deliverer and i could still be possessed by devils and still be in the and still be a prostitute but he changed my life and she runs past a bunch of men reclining and relaxing around jesus because that's what a lot of people do when they come to church they don't really worship they just recline and relax around jesus 
And that's why real worship makes those people uncomfortable. Why? Because there are some people who remember where they come from and remember how Jesus set them free and broke their chains. And when he comes into the room, I'm not going to sit down and recline and relax. I'm going to run and bow at his feet with weeping and tears. When he comes into the room, there ought to be some kind of emotion. Weeping, shouting, crying. Like today, I felt that there was a moment in worship where I felt him. He went, he came and stood right beside of me. And the only thing that I can give him is my worship. And sometimes that includes Weeping. I promise you, Jesus, get close to you, you will cry. Ask Peter. Jesus got in Peter's boat one day, and the Bible says he began to cry and to weep and say, Lord, I am a sinner. Get away from me. A real man will cry when Jesus shows up. And Jesus was the greatest man of us all. And the Bible says in John chapter 11, and Jesus wept. Don't ever, ever lose your tears. Your tears are a blessing. Weeping is a blessing. Mourning is a blessing. I have been there. I have been in in that place. I've been serving the Lord over 22 years. I promise you over 22 years, there will be moments of your life where there will be times where you don't always feel him. And I think the Lord does that for a, purpose, for a reason. I think sometimes he steps back just to see how we respond. I believe, he, he, I believe he steps back and says, can they still trust me even when they can't trace me? Well, when they can't feel me, will they keep on worshiping me? When I'm not there, will they still praise me? Will they still continue to persevere? Will they still, you, you say, preacher, will Jesus do that? Oh, yes, he will. The Bible says he told the disciples, go, go get in a boat, go to the other side. They were in a storm by themselves. Jesus was on the mountain. He wasn't with them because the last time he done that, he was in the boat with them. This time he's not in the boat. He wants to know, will, will you still be able to make it and persevere and endure even if I'm not there with you? Now, just because he's not there with us doesn't mean he's not watching us. There's a, whole, there's a difference. Because the Bible says they're going through a storm, and guess what Jesus is doing? He's on top of a mountain praying, and he sees them. He sees them. The Bible says they're struggling. One moment he's in the boat with them, they make it to the other side. This time he's saying, can you make it to the other side even if I'm not on your boat? He tests them. But the Bible says a storm came, and it was something that they could not handle. But thank God he was on the mountain because the Bible says he runs off the mountain, walks on water, and rescues them. There will be times where he will step back, and there will be times you won't feel him. But I think it's in those times that you cry out even harder and longer and more desperate and, and, and with a, a more intense craving saying, God, I can't make it without you. 
I believe we've learned church that we can do church even without him. But when you really have Jesus, I promise you, there will be some emotion. And that's why Jesus said, blessed is the one who mourns, who weeps, laments. Now, I'm going to get into this because this is powerful. This is challenging. It's convicting. But it's good. And we need to hear this. Because I don't want us to become the chosen frozen, you know, just come in here and plop down and cross our arms and, and have no emotion. L- let me tell you something. What, go read in your Gospels. Every person that encountered Jesus, there was some emotion. Shouting, crying, screaming, dancing. There was some, something that, there was some noise. There was commotion. When Jesus would come into the city, could you imagine going into going into as following Jesus into cities? And when Jesus would go in, the Bible says, and demons cried out. Could you imagine the sound in the city as these demons are coming out of people? People are being healed. Lepers are being cleansed. The dead are getting up. And I guarantee you, if if it, if it was your family member that was dead, I promise you, when Jesus touches them and they come out of the grave, you're not going to go. No, if Jesus come and you're at a funeral service weeping and crying over a lost loved one and he touches the casket and they come up out of that casket alive, how many knows you're going to run, you're going to shout, you're going to bow at his knee at his feet and say, thank you, Jesus. There will be some activity. And Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn that express something when I show up or when they feel me or when they feel convicted. I I, I believe that there are times people sit in the church, the Holy Spirit convicts them and they resist and get get real stiff. Say, bless God, I ain't going to the altar. You know what I want to say to people like that? Then you stay stuck right in 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 that place and don't complain about it. Because he, oh, he swung a door wide open for you to walk in. It's good preaching right there. Blessed are they that mourn. Everybody say mourn. The word mourn in the Greek means to mourn at the death of a loved one or friend. It means to be sad, sorrowful. To beat the breast as an outward sign of inward grief. I love this one. It's a grief manifested too deep for concealment. When somebody mourns, it is such a deep emotion, they can't restrain themselves, nor can they conceal it. I have been in services before where I'm preaching and I am seeing the Holy Spirit deal with people. And as I'm preaching, I can see people weeping and crying. And that is an indication to me something is going on on the inside. Holy Spirit is doing something. 
whether it's, whether it's healing, saving, mending the broken heart, doing something in that person's life, they feel something going on on the inside. And when something is going on on the inside, how many knows there will be an emotion? I remember whenever uh, we just, you know, the revival that we just came out of, there was a moment in that, in that message that I was preaching where I talked about how God was going to peel the layers off of our hearts. And, and right then, I don't know what it was, but something began to, began to happen in this place. Here's what I believe, believe happened. When I said that, I believe the Holy Spirit began to deal with people's hearts and people began to weep and to cry and people became hungry and thirsty for God. And, that, and through that, that's how revival broke out. Do you know how? Because people were willing to make a response even if it meant weeping and crying. It's not come to church and move me if you can, God. It's, it's I'm going to come to church and as soon as I hear a whisper, I'm moving. Because I need this. I need healing. I need a touch. I need a miracle. I need deliverance. I need breakthrough. I need something. And at the very slightest whisper of his voice, I am going to run to him like I have never ran to him before. It's not come to church so I can really get through this in a real quick manner and so that I can go on about my business. It's about when I get to church, I am going to go after him like I have never gone after him because I need a miracle and I need a breakthrough, and I'm not going to let no stiff-necked person keep me from Jesus. Preach, pastor, I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm coming today. It is a, it, there, will be, there will be something that he will do that you cannot conceal. There will be a dealing inside. There will be something to work inside that when he begins to do it, you cannot conceal it. it will begin to flow out of you. And that's what we're praying for, is God do such a mighty work that we cannot resist it, that we cannot restrain the tears, that we cannot restrain the worship and the praise and the emotions and the feelings. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's all about emotion, but I thank God for emotions. Because it lets me know when he's in the room. I can't see him with my eyes, but I can feel him with my heart. I don't know some people look in this church and say, bless God, that's, why you got to do all that jumping and shouting and crying and weeping and prophesying? And we can't see him with our eyes, but man, when he comes in here, our hearts will begin to Can anybody testify? Do you know what I'm talking about? You know when something shifts in the atmosphere. You know when Jesus comes into a room because your heart begins to throb even a little bit faster than it did when you come in here. And at that moment, you know that my Savior, the one who bore my sins and took it to a cross and shed his blood and saved me, delivered me, baptized me in the Holy Ghost, delivered me from demons, set me free from the hold of Satan, is in the room. And if he comes into the room, I am going to mourn. I'm going to weep. I'm going to shout. There's going to be a response. Oh, I feel. I felt it today. As soon as. 
something is, you know when something shifts. You, I, I, exactly. The Bible says where two or three come together in his name, that's where he shows up. And when he shows up, you can't tell me you won't feel something. The only, listen, whoa, I, I, I feel something right here. This ain't in my notes, but I feel it. The only way you can't feel him is if you're dead. So when Jesus comes in the room and people just do this right here. What in the world are they feeling? If you can't feel him, it's not everybody else around you. You might be dead. Jesus wrote a letter to a church in the book of Revelation and said, many people say you're alive. But he says, but in reality, you're dead. You have a lot of activity. You have a lot of this. You have a lot of that. But he says, but when I show up in the room, nobody responds to me. And if you cannot respond to him, then you're dead. But I come to tell you today, if you will open up today, he will quicken. He will make you alive. He will raise you up and give you a new heart that is sensitive to his presence so that when he comes into the next service, you won't just sit there in your pew. Your heart will begin to leap and your heart will begin to throb and your heart will begin to pump because the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God, is in the house. And when he comes into the house, you will begin to feel him. And you cannot just sit there as a dead man. you got to get up and say, how? Can I respond to his presence? Come on. We didn't just come in here just to go through a little form and a fashion. We come here so that we can encounter Jesus because if I encounter him, my body will be healed. My mind will be renewed. He'll transform my life. He'll shift it. He'll turn it. He'll work it out for my good. That's why Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those who respond with some kind of emotion when I show up. Come on now. Come on, preach. Preach. By the way, this is the introduction to this part of the sermon. We're just getting started exactly. It took me three weeks to talk about porn spirit. I don't know how long I'm going to be on mourn. But, but we'll get this because I believe that God is looking for some people who are alive, who are alive. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you. You know what the word beseech means? It means I beg of you. I beg you, please, if, if you don't hear anything, hear what I'm saying. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies a dead sacrifice. It also, uh, <laughs> not a dead sacrifice. He says, I want you to present yourself living. I want you to come wiggling. I want you to come moving. I want you to come with some kind of activity. If you got to move your feet, move your feet. If you got to shake your hands, if you got to dance, if you got to run, if you got to spin, he says, whatever you do, present your body a living sacrifice. Woo, hallelujah. When they put the the animal on the altar, the animal wasn't dead. That's why they had to bind it. And Jesus said, 
if he off, if he took a dead sacrifice in the Old Testament, a sacrifice that was animals, how much more will God accept a living sacrifice from those who know Jesus as Savior and Lord? Paul says, I beg you. And today, let me tell you what, the, what, what, what I'm, this is my purpose for today. This is my assignment, is to come and beg you that when Jesus comes in the room, you begin to present your bodies living as a living sacrifice. Watch, watch what Paul says, which is your reasonable service. One translation says it's your reasonable worship. The only reasonable thing that you can do is when he shows up in the room, act like he's in the room. Somebody please act like Jesus is here. If you're saying, preacher, I don't, I, I haven't felt him today. It's okay. I haven't really felt him today. Well, the only thing I can say is, you might be dead. Do this right here. If you don't feel a tick right there. Oh, and just because you feel a little thump doesn't mean you're really alive. Because there's a lot of people that walk and breathe but ain't really alive. You're not really alive until you've experienced Jesus. <laughs> Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. Paul says at one time we were dead in trespasses and sins, but he quickened us, saved us, quickened us, made us alive, breathed life into us. Man, I wish I could do a backflip because I would do it right here. <laughs> I have to pray about that one. <laughs> Blessed. This is all I kept. I've got so much to say. I don't have enough time to say it all tonight, today. And it's hard to believe that I'm almost done. But blessed are those who have some emotion. That's all I thought about this week. Blessed are those who weep and cry and shout and dance because Jesus is in the room. One thing that gets my heart more than anything is to see big, rough, tough men stand in the presence of Jesus and melt down. I've seen it. I've seen some rough people. I remember we were in West Virginia and I was preaching a revival. Adam and them were there with me. And Adam was singing the, singing the music and playing the music. And I remember the biggest drug dealer in, dealer in town was in the back, back pew. Tough. Tattoos. Biggest drug dealer in town. Oh, first he didn't come into church. First he watched, he watched us outside in the window. What in the world's going on in there? 
He's watching us in the window. What is that commotion? I'm talking about we were going crazy in that church. What in the world is going on? He out, we see him. He goes from the window to the door because the door was back in the right. He comes in, plops down in the back pew, and he sits there. I get up to start preaching. And as I'm preaching, you can see this man begin to melt. First off, something got a hold of him as he was on the road. He pulls in. He watches in a window, gets into the church, step, sits it back in the back pew. I'm preaching. And I can watch that man as Jesus begins to tear him down and break him down. And I can, I can see the chains beginning to loose him and break off of him. How did I know that? Because I seen a tear begin to come down his eye. Tear. When I gave the altar call, the man didn't wait a minute to think about it, two minutes, five minutes to think about it. He was already ready. Matter of fact, he was... He knew what was coming, and as soon as I gave the altar call, he didn't, he didn't go. He ran to the altar, and we prayed for him, and God delivered him and said he's free. And to this day, as I'm, I'm pretty sure he's still going to that church and is still saved. Matter of fact, I know that because I think he's even preaching, if I'm not mistaken. I love to see that. Blessed is that man who came into the church and when Jesus stepped in and the word entered into his heart, blessed is that man who encountered Jesus and mourned and ran to that altar and was saved and transformed and born again. Blessed is that man. Come on. That's where the blessing begins is when you begin to say, you know what, I've been, I've, I've, I've been dry. I have been, I have been calloused. I have, I have been tough for way too long. Because I've seen tough people never make it. But I've seen people give up at his feet and surrender at his feet and weep and cry and get up a totally new person. Here's what we need to, here's the revelation that we need to get. We are wretched compared to him. And when he steps into the room, his glory begins to deal with our wretchedness. And the only thing that we can do is fall prostrate before his feet. John said, when I saw Jesus and his glorified and all his resurrected and all his glory, he said, all I could do is but fall down as dead before his feet. Isaiah encounters him and Isaiah looks and says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man that's undone. And over and over, every person that has ever encountered him, there was an emotion, a reaction from the inside out. Now, there's this, this, this idea of blessed is the, those that mourn is so deep. It's so deep. There's no way I could scratch the surface of it today because of all that the Lord has done already. I don't have the time. 
but go and do your own due diligence to study this text because it is so powerful. Because the only way, listen to me. So look, verse 3, blessed are those that are poor in spirit for they shall possess the kingdom of heaven. He said the only ones that will ever possess the kingdom of heaven is those that are poor in spirit. And if Jesus says it, he means what he says. And he says what he means. You can't even possess the kingdom until you first are emptied on the inside. Poor in spirit. Spiritually impoverished. Verse 4, he says, blessed are those that mourn. For they shall be comforted. One translation says, for only they will be comforted. I'm going to say something here. It's going to be tough. I know I'm, I'm not even going to deal with it, but I know as soon as I do, I'm going to open up a can of worms here. But I'm good at that, so we'll deal with it another time. But the fact is, as Jesus said, those who weep now will laugh later. But those who laugh now will weep later. And I've already made up my mind. While I'm here, I'll weep, I'll cry, I'll mourn. Why? Because I do not want to do it then. How, how do you, what are you talking about, preacher? Here's what I'm talking about. The Bible says when somebody goes to hell, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The thing that all of us need to do here while we got breath in our body and we're alive is let's mourn now so that we can be joyful later. Do you know what? That's biblical. If you can't weep when he comes into the room now, you won't do it later. You got to do it now. You got to do it now. When he, I want, I, 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 I want him to come into the room and then me respond with weeping and crying and to have some kind of response and reaction than to act all tough and think I'm all right and then find out when I breathe my last breath that I wish to God I would have weeped while I was alive because now that I'm dead, I'm weeping. I'm tough, preacher. Well, you won't be tough when you're in hell burning. I promise you, you'll weep and you'll cry and you'll shout and you'll say, Jesus, please save me, but he's so far from you then. See, we don't like to hear this. You know why? Cause, cause, because we got too much Christian television. That's why, because on Christian television, we got preachers spoon-feeding this crap. And we wonder why we're not, we're not seeing the results or the outcome of this, this, this faith called Christianity. Here's why. It's because we need to get back to preaching about this kind of stuff. It's not about just coming to him when you feel like it's coming to him and saying, Lord, I am wretched, I am a sinner, and I am in need of a Savior, and weeping and crying and saying, Jesus, I need you. That's what causes him to comfort you. That's what causes him to embrace you. Not, not, not that you come in here all tough and acting like you got it all together. It's come in here and say, God, I am nobody without you. 
I can do nothing. I can be nothing without you. And you come in here and you, and you, you have some kind of response and some kind of reaction to his grace and his love and to what he has done on the cross. I remember when I got the revelation of sin, how wretched it is, what kind of havoc it can cause. Not, not just that, but I remember when I got the revelation that it was my sin that took the loveliest of life, Jesus, and bashed him on a cross. And when you want to see what sin can do, look at the cross. Because sin, it, it causes havoc. Sin is, is, is this horrible thing. And we're okay with it in the church. And we're okay with it in our lives. We're comfortable with it. We're buddies with it. We're friends with it. How in the world can you as a Christian be friends with something that bashed him on a cross? No, we ought to see sin as God sees it. We ought to weep over it. We ought to cry over it. Until something in us begins to change. And I believe, here's why, here's why I believe that we have become callous to sin. Here's why. Because the church don't preach on it anymore. That's why we've gotten calloused when it comes to sin. Because you bring up that three-letter word sin, half the church gets shocked. <gasps> and the problem is, is that the reason we have problems in our life is because of sin. And preachers, are not a, uh, preachers don't have the backbone to look at somebody and say, you are sinning, and if you don't get right... Judgment will come upon the sin. Plain and simple. We don't preach about things like hell anymore. I mean, Adam, Adam was in uh, my office this morning. And, uh, and I'm going to close with this. You can stand to your feet. Adam was standing in my office this morning. And uh, we've been doing some work downstairs. And so I had a big, huge bookshelf full of books. And so um, they're all in a playpen downstairs in my office. And uh, because of all the work, but there was a book in there. And Adam was looking at it. And the title of the book is Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. Now, some may not know the how profound that is, here's, here's how profound that, that is, is because that was the message that was preached that sparked the second great awakening that, that moved all across the world. When Jonathan, listen to me, when Jonathan Edwards, I was telling Adam this, when Jonathan Edwards preached that message, he read from the manuscript with a candle in his hand. And while he read that sermon from a manuscript, there were people screaming and yelling in the congregation because they said that, that, that the ground was opening up and they were, they were trying to slide into hell. And he said when he looked, would look up every so often from his page to see the congregation, people were clinging to the pillars of that church and weeping and crying because they were so afraid of sliding down into the grips of hell. 
And there was a conviction that began to sweep over the entire world and people would be weeping in their, in their cars and they would be weeping in the streets and they'd be weeping at their jobs. During that time, Charles Finney, how many remembers Charles Finney? Charles Finney would go into factories and just step into those factories, wouldn't say a word, but just the presence of Jesus in his life, people would begin to weep at their machines. Grown men would begin to weep and to cry and to mourn. Why? Because there was such a conviction and it was that conviction in that mourning that birthed one of the greatest moves of God in world history. We pray, God, we want a great awakening and a great move of God. Here's how we will only start is when we begin to respond with weeping and mourning between the porch and the altar. And I've got so much I want to say about this, but I don't have time. I believe these beatitudes are not just attitudes. I believe they're keys to a move of God. I believe they're keys to seeing the kingdom invade the earth if we'll begin to practice them and live them and become them. Preacher, tell me, how are we going to see a move of God? Here's how I'll tell you how we're going to be, how we're going to see a move of God. You ready? We'll see a move of God when we become poor in spirit. When we lose the pride and the arrogance and the ego and thinking that we don't need him and thinking that we don't need anybody, that we can do this without him. Until we lose that and become poor and empty in spirit, saying, God, I cannot do this. I depend on you then we'll see revival but until then we won't ever see this number two we're going to have to mourn again and weep and cry and really feel this burden for sin and see sin as God sees sin and respond when Jesus comes in the room don't pray for revival and you can't get up off your seat when he walks in the room <coughs> no it's not that it's not, here's what we need. We don't need the church revived. We need us to be revived. Because the reason why we haven't responded is because we're dead. And the only thing that will ever cause a response is that we see revival in our hearts, in our lives. And this ought to be a concern. If you've, it's been a while since you've cried in his presence, it ought to be a concern in your life. Because the only thing that I can say is there could be something wrong in the heart. Let me keep going. Poor in spirit, mourn, meek, gentle, kind, loving, humble. We can't say God give me revival and then you can't, you can't be nice to people. I, I preach right there. You can't go to the altar and cry and weep and say, God, give us an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And then you don't know how to be kind to people. These are, these are simple things that will birth a move of God. Jesus wasn't just flippantly just saying these things. He was saying these things for a reason. Because he knew these would be keys. Do you remember Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, I give unto you keys of the kingdom. Have you ever wondered what those keys are? One key is poor in spirit. Second key is being mournful. Third key is what? 
being meek, gentle, kind, easy, long-suffering. Here, here, here you know, here's, here's one. Hunger and thirst. Be merciful. Show mercy. Don't think you'll ever get mercy if you can't show mercy. Let me say that like this. Everything that somebody has ever done, let it go. Everything that has ever been said, everything that has been done to you, let it go. Not You don't give them mercy for them. You give them mercy so that it might deliver you and set you free. Do you know there's people right now that are still bound by somebody that's dead in the grave because they said something or done something to them? And I tell you today, be, show mercy and let it go. Not for them, but so that you can be released and loosed into your destiny and, and you, so that you might receive mercy and that you might experience freedom and so that you might experience the love and grace of God. And I believe, let me tell you something, one big thing that's holding revival back right now, here's what it is. We have too many people in the church that is holding the root of bitterness. Can't forgive what somebody has done. Let it go. Your future is so much better than what anybody ever said or done to you. Paul said, one thing I do, brethren, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching for, oh, I felt the Holy Ghost right there. Reaching for those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high. Quit letting the bitterness and the unforgiveness haunt you all the days of your life. Today I felt the Holy Ghost. Today's the day to break away from it. Today's the day of freedom. Today's the day of liberty. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Well, preacher, you don't know. That church wounded me. You know what? Let it go. The church is not Christ. Before the world or anybody hurts you, it hung him on the cross. So when you feel like you're hurt and you can't let it go, look at the cross and see what he, what, what, what he went through. And say, God, give me that kind of spirit that, that even though I'm hanging and bleeding and I'm battered and I'm bruised and I'm dying, hanging with nails in my hands and feet, being pierced in my side, but yet I can look down off that cross and say, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'm giving you keys today for a revival and a move of God, not just in your life, but I'm giving you keys today that will move this church into a great move of God. Not just this church, but it will move this entire region in a baptism of fire, the Holy Ghost. Watch, watch, watch. Watch. Blessed are the merciful. They shall obtain mercy. Oh. Be pure in heart. Why? So you might see God. We have a true problem with purity today in the church. The only way you will ever see God is you've got to be pure. What is purity? Absence of sin. 
You say, preacher, that's impossible. How can we be absent of, live absent of sin? Well, Jesus, I thought, I thought that's why Jesus came, is to remove the sin that kept us captive. So it is possible to be pure in heart. Doesn't mean you're perfect, but you can be pure. And only those that are pure who have the same mindset that God has towards sin and the world, who weep and cry when they do fall in sin. If, if, if you are a true born again believer and you can't weep over your sin when you commit it, then there is a very big issue in your life. If you can do what the world does and there not be some kind of weeping and conviction in your heart, you'll never see God. You must become pure in heart. How do you, the Bible says, who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord but he that have clean hands and a pure heart? God says, you can't even come into my house you got clean hands and a pure heart you say preacher that's Old Testament what about James chapter 3 said instead of laughing you need to be weeping you need to cry oh ye sinners weep and mourn humble yourselves and he will exalt you this is new covenant stuff listen what he says he says peacemakers those that are persecuted for righteousness sake. You know what that means? That means I live such a life of righteousness that other people persecute me for it. When was the last time somebody persecuted you because you lived right, done right? All these things Jesus gave was keys to the kingdom. And you know who possesses the keys? They're going to possess these attitudes. So today, I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—I—
So today, if the Holy Spirit has dealt with your heart,